Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. It is 30 years. There are some of you who will remember it well, some of you who will barely remember it. Uh, some people like uh, Rebecca who don't remember it at all. But it was a very exciting time in Limerick and across uh, the country because it was Italia 90. of uh, that summer uh, in 1990. Uh, Gary Spain, a huge Limerick FC supporter, big uh, supporter of soccer in general, is on the line. Uh, Hi, Gary, how are you? Good, Joe. Keeping well, yeah. Were you there? Were you in Italy? I was. I was there for the whole month. So um, it was a fantastic time. How did you manage to get yourself there in the first place? So, yeah, I mean, back in those days, there was no internet and it was a lot more complicated, I suppose, to to get to these places. And uh, I, I flew, there was a group of us. Um, my uncle was the main person. My dad was actually there, but he was on an official trip. So I actually flew to Rome and met the car and we got a ferry out to Sardinia. So you were booking all of these things. Actually, I don't think we even booked the ferry. I think we just showed up in Civita Vecchia and got on the next ferry over to Sardinia and you were writing to campsites, we were camping and uh, you were writing to campsites uh, to book them because even a phone call would have been very expensive to be phone in Italy in those days would have, would have cost a fair bit of money and I think we were writing to campsites, booking campsites ahead or in some cases just chancing our arm and showing up so there was a lot more organisation to it but um Oh, it was brilliant times. It was it was great to be there. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned, our own Rebecca wasn't even born during okay. Italian ninety. <laughs> so, for those who didn't live through it, it is hard to describe it. But how would you do that? So, yeah, it's it's probably the first time that uh, football became it, it got it covered, taken over the whole country because um, every man, woman, and child. And it can be so difficult to describe. Every man, woman, and child in Ireland was um, was watching the games. In fact, I, I, I tell a story about it. I, I, I'd actually just started work. I'd probably starting to feel old now because I was a couple of years at work. I had to take holidays from work to go there. But an American colleague of mine uh, was telling me after I got back 
that for the Romania game, which was on a Monday at five o'clock, uh, he'd forgotten about the game, sitting at his desk and working away. And he left work about five past five. And he walked out in Galway and there was nobody in the office. The security guards had gone. The whole place was deserted. And he got into his car and then he was starting to panic. And he said, everything is wrong and there's no one here. And he drove right across Galway and he didn't see a single person. And he had decided uh, there must have been a nuclear holocaust because that was kind of a concern in those days between <laughs> yeah. USA and Soviet Union. Yeah. And he rushed home to die. He said, I go to, hope you get home in Salt Hill to die with my wife and daughter. And he got in the door and his wife and daughter were watching the match like the rest of the country and he realised what had happened. And I mean, I, I don't. It, that's never happened since and I don't think it can happen again. I, do, I don't think ever the country will become totally, totally consumed with an event because um, Gary, literally everybody watched it. The popular yeah. memory is that the Irish fans were brilliantly behaved in Italy, were massively popular. It, was that the case? Oh, it was. It, it definitely was the case. I mean, uh, we were welcomed wherever we went. In, in Sardinia, e- even simple things, which, which sounds ridiculous, that we were allowed to bring our car into the campsite. So Irish cars were allowed into the campsite. English cars were not, which was absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, there were English fans pitched beside us. Now, the, the English fans did cause some problems at certain times, but um, we didn't. There were certainly no problems in our campsite. But the guys beside us had to leave their cars outside because there were English regs on them and the Irish cars and camper vans were allowed in. Um, in Sicily, uh, they really took us to our heart, uh, to their hearts. We were just so welcome. Um, it, it was unbelievable. In fact, uh, I've never gone back, but I've often said I, I should have gone back to Sicily. It was absolutely beautiful and the, the people were so warm and welcoming. Uh, people dancing in fountains, forgetting about the credit union loans that they had taken out uh, to get there, um, and uh, just a sense that there was a connection between everyone there and between the team and the fans, um, particularly who those who followed them to Italy. Because obviously now you never get near uh, players anymore, do you? But I wonder, was it different then? Yeah, I mean, no, we actually didn't get um, anywhere near the players, I suppose. But you would have done maybe on, on other away trips at that time if you were going to maybe a qualifier. I suppose we didn't really try to get too near the players, but certainly you felt a great connection. Yeah, and they would have been over to the fans. And I, I think that the players fed off the, the fans as well because there were just so many Irish fans there and, and not just travelling from home, I mean, travelling from all across Europe. Uh, Ireland had come through a bad time in the 80s. There was so much unemployment. There was so much immigration. And I think Italian 90 was also a chance for um, people to come from, from all over Europe. You know, it's... Um, in fact, I know um, Joe Delaney, maybe it's a, a bad name to be mentioning now, but the father of John, I mean, he told a story in 1990. Was, he was selling tickets for the Italy game to fans that had come out. And this Irish couple came up to him and said, oh, um, we've just been following the World Cup on TV and we two days ago we decided we had, we had to go to Italy. So we booked flights and everything. And he says, geez, you took an awful chance coming out from Ireland for the game. He says, oh, no, we came from Sydney. Sydney? Yeah, just on, on a whim. And it must have cost an absolute fortune in 1990 because 
I mean, I know, I mean, the flight for me was a big chunk of the cost because flights in those days were really expensive and you didn't book in short notice. And I think it was just people felt they had to be there. Yeah, I mean, you'd imagine if it was happening this summer, the way Michael O'Leary is talking, he'd fly the planes himself if he had to. Uh, oh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. He, that, that wasn't the case back in, in 1990. Now, uh, one thing that we know in Limerick, of course, uh, which unfortunately is a little bit of a secret from the rest of the country, there's a, a long operatic tradition in Limerick, but the rest of the country did catch on during Italia 90. The great Pavarotti there, Nessun Dorma and the intertwining of a sport and opera. He was a, a big football fan himself, uh, of course. But as I say, um, sport and opera have been mixed um, in Limerick over generations and continue to be uh, to this day. Now, uh, Live 95's JP Dillon is also on the line. Morning to you. Um, uh, good morning, Joe. How are you? Now, Limerick went bonkers around that time, just like the rest of the country did, uh, including the nightclub scene where you would have been DJing. Well, that's right, Joe. Uh, morning to you. And morning, Gary. Great to hear you tell the story. Morning, JP. The, yeah. What it was like uh, uh, as you went gallivanting around Italy following the Irish team. Uh, that's right, Joe. And I, I was involved as, in, as a DJ in the nightclubs uh, around about that time. I would have been right bang in the middle of what I was doing. And uh, I was DJing in Ted's. And also, um, there was a, a nightclub in the basement of uh, the Newtown Perry, uh, which went on later to be O'Bars in Thomas Street. And it's funny, actually, that you should play Nesson Dorma there, because I, I had a little flashback of, it's probably the only time that you could... Uh, stand, I stood in the DJ box in Ted's one night and played Pavarotti, and uh, everybody stood in the middle of the dance floor and sang along. They didn't, they didn't know the words, but they sang along anyway. Amazing, yeah. And I mean, you're a big <laughs> football fan as well, JP. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I grew up as a young boy in Tomagate. I've got a, one older brother, and we were soccer mad. And uh, Gary would remember um, the early days of the Irish soccer team um, when we were trying to qualify for tournaments. And we always used to have a kind of a, a hard luck story. You know, we nearly qualified. We nearly got a goal. It was ruled out for offside. We were nearly there. Uh, Gary, you probably know what I'm talking about. We were always there or thereabouts, but never quite got there. Oh, I do. One, one hand has a lot of um, sad stories. That, I mean, <laughs> and not, I think we were unlucky and in one case, I think, cheated out of a place in the final. Oh, we were done days. regularly, yeah. weren't we? Before <laughs> yeah. Oh, we were done. Uh, left, right and centre. All over the world. <laughs> either side of the Iron Curtain, we were done. <laughs> But Gary, Gary mentioned there a short time ago that Ireland, Ireland was not long out of a, a very bad recession in the 80s. And of course, uh, Jack, uh, St. Jack, as he's become 
affectionately known now, uh, came along and uh, got us qualified for a major tournament in 88. So um, so once we were heading towards uh, the World Cup of 1990, uh, we'd already had a taste of uh, what things could be like at the top table of world football. So, um, you know, the country was getting getting up off its, its backside and getting moving. And from a local point of view, um, in 1990, um, the nightclub scene was absolutely thriving, Joe, because, um, of course, you know, people had a few bob now. They were out, but all of a sudden... They were partying in the street because then the Irish soccer team were doing the business on the pitch. Right now, we're in the middle of a chat about Italia 90, uh, Big Jack, the Republic of Ireland team and the World Cup. Here we go, 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 for the World Cup, we're getting wound up to support the best team in the land. For the first time, and not the last time, the Irish lads are qualified. All the fans have a message for the manager. In unison, they all will cry. Get a last check, get a last check. Never, never, never say no. Uh, give it a lash, Jack. <laughs> uh, we have been talking to Gary Spain, who was there, and uh, our own JP Dillon remembers it back in Limerick and DJing in the nightclubs. Declan Lynch from the Sunday Independent is on the line as well. Good morning to you, Declan. Um, hey, Joe. How did we end up in a situation where um, a tall, quite gruff at times, although maybe it was more a gruff exterior Englishman, led Ireland and the Irish on this Pied Piper trip through Europe, not just at Italia 90, but over a number of years? Uh, well, it was an accident, really. Um, you know, it was a happy accident, but uh, I think the FAI in their in their genius kind of didn't really intend to give the job to Jack, but due to their vast dis- dysfunction, it somehow ended up that way. Uh, and it was a feature of Jack's kind of tenure generally. He got some great breaks. You know, like uh, the lads were saying there about how terribly unlucky Ireland had been. And that can't be exaggerated. They genuinely were cheated and they were very unlucky. I mean, we now know the Thierry, Thierry Henry thing. There were several other Thierry Henry's uh, of equal kind of uh, malevolence that happened well over decades, you know. So, uh, the, when Jack came, for some reason, the tide kind of turned a bit in our favour. And uh, we found, like, even qualifying for Euro 88, we were extremely lucky. I mean, Scotland beating Bulgaria in that, that famous match. Uh, and we had a good team. So, But we'd always had good teams at various points. But now we were able to take advantage of it because uh, we weren't actually <laughs> going out like men uh, sure of their doom, you know. So... Um, so there was that, and in an odd way as well, getting the, the you know, what they call the, the great grandmother players, you know, people like uh, uh, Ray Houghton or uh, John Aldridge, all, all those guys. Uh, that, in many ways, was a more accurate reflection of Ireland than just having all three people who were born and raised in Ireland, because Irish people have always gone to England and gone abroad, and it's part of of our our identity. So to have like the sons or grandsons of those people in an odd sort of way was a more accurate 
representation of of that and then having an English manager. We Many of our greatest successes have had English involvement. If you look even at U2, they certainly, I mean, a couple of them were, you know, have English or Welsh parents, you know. So uh, we're a more complicated lot than we sometimes care to admit. And, and also when you, you uh, remember in the 80s how much emigration there had been, um, like all of unemployment and all that, a lot of those people who went abroad kind of identified greatly with that team because, you know, it was a way for the country to unite under something or to feel, uh, you know, that they all belonged under one version, if you like, of, of Ireland, um, you know, in, at a time when otherwise it was really, really divisive. You remember you had these terrible referendums as well in the 1980s uh, with uh, you know, divorce and abortion, really, really divisive. There was a sense of, you know... Uh, implacable opposition within the country, and this one thing, for some reason, brought everyone together. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. You know, and 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 so it had a huge, very you know, uh, wide-ranging kind of significance. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan Kyo is on the line. Hi, Alan. How are you? How things? Not too bad. So, what age were you uh, in uh, Italia ninety? Oh, I was I was very young, thirteen years of age. Right. So, what are your memories of it as a teenager? Um, I suppose, um, I suppose it was very fond memories. I, I guess um, Euro Asia, I suppose, is when we all took off, and that's when it, when the the, 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 the our soccer team really grabbed a hold of my own attention, really. And I remember then the excitements when we beat Malta. I think it was in the last qualifying game in Valletta. There, I think we were all excited that John Aldridge finally broke his duck, you know, failing to score for Ireland. He, I think he got two goals in Malta and then on to Italian 90. But sure, the, the best memories definitely were the England game when we drew one all in the opening World Cup in the first game. And then, of course, the penalty shootout in Genoa. Now, you were supposed to play an under-14 match yourself. Yeah, that's right. I remember there the the night we were fought with um, the, the, that night they played Romania. I remember again hopping on my bike at some stage after the shot after the game started, I think, and cycling down to the square in the skating and finding that there's no one there in the square in the skating. I think we, were, I think we, were, I could be corrected, but we were supposed to travel out to Maru. I think out to Maru was that direction anyway to play another 14 football game, and found no one in the square. And then one or two, of, I saw one or two of my friends excitedly running into Cagney's pub in Skeeton and so I guess I followed him in and just found the pub absolutely packed to the rafters and of course I was asking were we going to play the match but sure no one had no one our selectors at the time I think, were, I think Dick Costello and Francie Kenny had no intentions of moving until the game was over anyway and I just remember um, the man the, the, the bar owner at the time handing out coke and crisps to all of us there so that we'd settle down and just watch the match and that the adults watched the match in peace. And, of course, they led, led to that famous penalty shootout. And, of course, the excitement, I remember, was just unreal. Yeah, I, I, think, I presume I, just things went completely bonkers. I remember, I, I remember, yeah, I remember the pub just going mad. Like, you're 13 years of age. Like, you're not usually used to being in a pub. Like, and just every, and just the, the all the grown adults going absolutely nuts at the time. And, of course, as I said, many of the adults then wanted to go to the football match after. Of course, they wanted to soak up the atmosphere afterwards. Like, but even going out to the football, we, we did actually make it to the match that night that evening. I don't know if we actually played the full match anyway. But I just remember talking to the, the kids 
and on the opposition team and everything and just there was such a buzz and everything like that. Yeah, and, and I mean, that shouldn't be taken for granted because, you know, nowadays uh, there's a, a, quite a general interest in sport in Limerick and around the country. You know, you can have uh, um, a young fella or a young girl playing all sorts of sports, you know, soccer, hurling, rugby, you, you name it. But in those days, there, there was still quite a divide, wasn't there, in parts of uh, Limerick? You know, there were people who... GA was it for them and there was no interest in soccer or vice versa I suppose yeah like uh, it probably that, that continued on for many years afterwards as well I suppose but yeah back then I do remember there that, that, that like there was the, 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 pro, the pro GA and the pro soccer like and um, and that was it but definitely I, I totally agree like the Italian 90 definitely brought uh, definitely closed the, the divides between the two sports I suppose, the different two courts I suppose if you want to say that definitely for sure like and it was look it was good Italian 90 was great on all levels from the economy I suppose just the, the general atmosphere the, the general feeling in the country and of course with sports and everything like that Yeah uh, Katrina Kavanagh is on the line as well Hi Katrina Hi how are you Italian 90 Oh great memories. I was only 13 at the time and I was like I'm from Tipperary originally so for the last match the Italian versus Italy we went into the pub, me and my two friends. I was drinking my coke and Scalacci had got the goal and it was a really exciting match but I hadn't eaten all day because I was so excited so I actually collapsed and fainted in the pub and I had to be carried out. Yeah and I was sitting outside the pub and apparently some young fellow was rubbing down my back and I was like, I woke up and I said, did we win? And I was so upset that we didn't win, but it was brilliant. It was just great memories. Like um, the Romania match um, with Packy Bonner, that was just amazing. We had a crush on Packy Bonner and myself and my friend and Niall Quinn. So it made it all worthwhile watching it like, you know, so it's just fantastic, fantastic memories altogether. Yeah, it was. It was just such a, a fantastic time. Um, and and you, you do wonder, really, I mean, I suppose unless you live through it, you know, there have been um, big competitions since and Ireland have qualified uh, for World Cups and the, the European Championships in 2016. But maybe it was because it was all so fresh and new, Katrina, that it seemed to mean so much to people. Yeah, I think totally. It was just like, I think if it happened now, it's, it's very different, I think. I just have... It's just just fantastic memories. I still have the CD. I still play it. My son is called Jack. And he's like, oh, my God, all those songs are about me and everything. So we listen to those songs regularly, like, you know, and it's just fantastic. It's just a different... It was just so different back then. It was just so new and so fresh, and that was a thing. And I don't think... I, I, could, I don't can't see that it would ever happen again, but it'd be brilliant if it did. But Jack was just a great man, and... You know, we had a fantastic team. They were all so good. John Aldridge, Niall Quinn, Taki Bonner. Fantastic, fantastic, I have to say. Great memories all together. And just to be clear now, is it coincidental that your son is called Jack? No, um, my, that was my husband's That was my husband's decision. But he's very happy now that he is called Jack because he's like, he plays those songs like, no, it's not because of Jack Charlton. But we keep telling them that. So he's all excited about it, like, you know, so. Um, Declan Lynch, if Italia 90 was happening this month, I think there might be a struggle around social distancing. Yeah, <laughs> I was at... Uh... Uh, pretty pretty hectic, you know. Uh, I mean, Carl earlier was on about going to, to Italy. I mean, to some extent, uh, a lot of it happened in, in, at home. Like, Con Houlihan, the sports writer, had a famous line that 
said, um, uh, I, I missed the World Cup. I went to Italy. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's like one of the main uh, memories I have is just there was just astonishing amount of drink. Right. <laughs> like in the middle and at strange times of the day I think this, see, everything was a novelty right qualifying for the World Cup was a novelty it was always the whole thing the first time was always kind of you know different and, and special but you know so, so there was that the weather was really, was really good and people you know at lunchtime were, it was like being there was a Mediterranean feel to everything right and people would be having pints at lunchtime and leaving work early and this kind of stuff and uh, I remember like the, the famous world the famous uh, penalty shootout against Romania I mean I was in the international bar in Dublin and it was just completely jammed like there were um, just piles of people uh, in a pretty kind of narrow sort of space. So, no, social distancing, uh, there was no sort of social distancing whatsoever. Uh, in fact, people did things they never did before. Like, they were driving after a, a, a Ireland drew with England, which we regarded as a, as a victory. Uh, you know, there was people driving around, blowing their horns, Dublin, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I, you know, it's funny you should say that because, you know, we went on a family holiday to Dublin. I know Fierce Plush uh, in 1990. And I remember after losing to Italy, we decided we'd drive into O'Connell Street in Dublin to see what was going on. And people were out celebrating the loss. Yeah, well, you see, uh, it was a very happy time generally. And deep down, we didn't really expect to get any further. You know what I mean? Like, it, there was a, there's always a thing within Irish people. I think if we, as long as we don't disgrace ourselves, we, we were kind of happy. I mean, I think that was the great fear of playing England. It wasn't so much that we'd kind of, we didn't, it wasn't so much that we wanted to beat them, as that, above all, we didn't want them to win 5-0 or something, right? And that we, we'd be disgraced. So, having got through all this, having drawn with England and drawn with Holland and got to the quarter-final, it almost was too much for us to expect that we'd go any further. So we we weren't crushed with disappointment by it. I mean, it was kind of you know we would have preferred to to, uh, to get through against Italy, but it, so there was still a, fe- a feeling of celebration and a feeling that everyone had a great time anyway. So right. uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, listen, thank you all very much for telling us your wonderful stories of Italia 90. I hope it sparks memories for those who remember it and maybe gives people uh, who were too young to remember it a sense of what it was uh, really like. That's uh, Declan Lynch from the Sunday Independent. You heard from Gary Spain, Live 95's JP Dillon. Thanks to Alan Kyo. Thanks to Katrina Kavanagh. And we'll go into the break with just some of those moments that lifted the nation that summer 30 years ago.
Kevin Moore for Tony Cascarino, who got there. Quinn just took it up the toe of Kevin Sheedy. And this quarterfinal place still has to be won. The nation holds its breath.